Amen, amen. Thank you very much, Pastor Sam, and thank you once again, First uh, McKinney. This is starting to feel like home for me. It's the second time here, and so uh, I'm excited. And uh, my plan is to be with you uh, for three Sundays this month. I won't be here next week, unfortunately, but I'm going to be going back to Pittsburgh, where I'm from, and uh, it's a season opener for the Pittsburgh Steelers, so uh, I'm, I'm going to be in the house rooting and cheering, hoping and praying. Uh, I don't know if prayer is going to make a difference, but uh, I don't think God cares too much about football. But I'll be there, and uh, if, we, if we win, I'll be back the third week. Uh, if we lose, uh, any sports fans out there know, we, we as men and women for that matter, we need a little time to mourn. So uh, I may or may not be back on the 17th, depending upon how we do next week. Uh, but uh, this morning, uh, we are uh, going to be talking about positioned for purpose, positioned for purpose. And I love coming to First McKinney because I was given the passage to preach. I didn't have to think about what I was going to preach. Uh, Pastor Sam said, you're in a series. He said, Esther 4, 14. So well, that's perfect because that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And so uh, we're going to talk about positioned for purpose. Now, one of the questions that I get asked on a regular basis, whether it's in person or whether somebody sends me an Instagram DM or an email, is, Brother Allen, what is my purpose? How can I fulfill God's calling or God's will for my life? People say it different ways. Purpose, calling, will. I believe it's all the same. And so I believe that all of us here would love to be able to say, my life counted for something. How can I make sure that I left it all out on the court, right? When I stand before God in heaven, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because I think it's easy for us to think, particularly as men, that as long as I go to work every day, as long as I'm a faithful husband, spend some time with my kids, coach my kids' soccer team, then you know what? I'm fulfilling my God-given purpose. Or if you're a woman here, hey, as long as I have a career or work inside of the home or have a side business or whatever it is, you know, I've fulfilled my purpose. But I am a firm believer that even though all those things are good, I, I believe that it's easy for us to get distracted by all of the good things of life. And by the way, all those things are necessary. We should do those things. But it's easy for us to focus all of our time on these good things and never really tune in and zone in on the God things. And I'm just a firm believer that I think God has something special, something unique, something that he's calling each of us to do. And so once again, we're going to be in the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses surrounding uh, verse 14. But before we do, Anytime you study an Old Testament book, for that matter, because the Old Testament is kind of like a soap opera. You can't just kind of jump in in the middle of it and expect to figure out what's going on. Instead, you, you, you got to know the context, the historical context. So we're going to do a little bit of an Old Testament history lesson that leads us up to the book of Esther. And so uh, in the Old Testament, as you know, you have the 12 tribes of Israel. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, the tribes of Israel were disobedient to the Lord. Uh, they were intermarrying with other nations, and God had told them not to, not because those people were of a different ethnicity, but because their hearts were worshiping another God, and that was leading them into idolatry. They were obstructing justice in the courts. They were oppressing the poor. Uh, they were uh, involved in sexual immorality. 
And they were sacrificing their children in the fire to a pagan god named Molech. And you would think that God would see all this and say, you know what, I'm just going to take them out, forget about it. But God, in his mercy, in his grace, in his long-suffering, in his patience, he sent prophet after prophet to speak to them and warn them and said, hey, come back. Repent of your sins. If you would just repent right now, I will relent from all of the judgment and all of the, uh, the punishments that I'm going to have on you. But they ignored Isaiah. They ignored Jeremiah. They ignored Micah. They ignored Hosea. They ignored all of them. And so after hundreds of years of God's faithfulness and, and patience, God allowed a foreign wicked nation named the Babylonians to come into Jerusalem and literally burn down the city, destroy the temple, break down all of the surrounding walls that protected the city, and kidnap the nation of Israel and took them back to a land around 500 miles or so called Babylon, where they would be there for 70 years. God said, get comfortable because you're going to be there for 70 years. Now, while they were there, there was a king of Persia whose name was Cyrus. King Cyrus then came in and uh, defeated the Babylonians and took over the land, and that land became the kingdom of Persia. And so after the 70 years were over, as God had promised right on time, God allowed these Jews who were in Persia to return and go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their city and rebuild their walls and their temple and things of that nature. But it was a long trip. And many of them were born in Persia and did not have the, the, the spiritual heritage and lineage and pride to want to take their families all the way back there. So most of them stayed in Persia where they were captives. But a few select called the remnant returned to Jerusalem. Now, if you want to know about what happened to the Jews who returned to Jerusalem to rebuild it, then you're going to read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah for that story. But if you want to know what happened to the majority of the Jews who stayed behind in Persia, you want to read the book of Esther. And that's what the book of Esther is all about. It talks about what happened to the Jews who remained in Persia. And so now that we've gotten to the book of Esther, now let's, let's fast track ourselves to chapter 4. So Esther starts off in chapter 1 with this king whose name is King Xerxes, if you could say that five times, King Xerxes. <laughs> and uh, King Xerxes has this elaborate party. All right, now I don't want us all to act like we've all been saved our whole lives, okay? Some of us have been through some wonderful parties. I, I know I've been to a few parties in, in college. I want you to think about the best party you've ever been to, all right? I mean, don't think about it too long, but just think about the best party <laughs> that you've ever been to. And imagine that party lasting for six months. The Bible says that he had a party for 180 days. I mean, that was a huge party, right? And so at the end of these 180 days, he has this grand idea. He says, oh, I'm going to impress all of my friends and all my nobles, and I'm going to bring out my beautiful wife, Queen Vashti, and assumingly she's going to be indecent, and I'm going to parade her beauty so that all the people can see just how beautiful my queen is. Why don't you come on out here, honey, and just show them what you look like. And she's like, uh, no, you got, you got it twisted. That, that, that's not me, all right? That's not me. 
And so the, the king is like, man, okay, uh, you're, no, you're no longer fit to be queen. He demotes her, and now they go on the Persia's top model, all right? There's a Persia's top model contest, and through a series of divine providence, uh, providential events, uh, Esther becomes the next queen of Persia. And so she is there, and now we're going to bring in two new characters, one whose name is Haman, and Haman is uh, a, a high figure in the Persian Empire with a lot of power, a lot of influence. And then you have this Jewish man whose name is Mordecai, and Mordecai was the cousin to Queen Esther, and he adopted Esther after her parents died and took her in as his own. And so Haman, uh, there's a decree that goes out that everybody should bow down to Haman because he just is kind of that narcissistic guy. Everybody's bowed down to him. Mordecai's like, no, I worship Yahweh. I worship my God, and I'm not going to bow down to you. Haman doesn't like that. So Haman says, hmm, I'm going to find out who your people are. And it's discovered that Mordecai is a Jewish man. So Haman says, yeah, I'm going to get back to you for not bowing down to me. Matter of fact, I'm going to destroy all of the Jews in the Persian Empire. And so now enter Esther. The Bible says here that Mordecai sent a message to Esther saying, hey, Esther, I know you're on the inside, and I know you have the king's ear, and I know that you found favor with the king. I need you to do us a solid, all right? The Jewish people are going to be destroyed. If you don't do something, you need to stand up. You need to speak up. So now this lady, Hathok or whoever, returned to Esther with Mordecai's message, and then Esther sends another message back to her cousin Mordecai. And this is her message. She says, Mordecai, with all due respect, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who, that appears uh, before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. Can you imagine being married to a man and, you know, he's got his choice of women and he doesn't even call for you. And he, in order to spend time with the husband, he has to call for you. And she says, he, he hadn't even called for me in 30 days. I can't just walk in there. I might die. So basically her response is, I, I'm sorry. My hands are tied. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't really do anything. I, I, I'm sorry for you all. I, I hope that you all will be okay. Right? And, and Mordecai's like, uh, Esther, I don't think you understand. Uh, you must have forgotten that you're also a Jew as well, right? And so Mordecai sends a message back, and, and he says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the royal palace that you will escape when all other Jews are killed. Esther, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place but you and your relatives will die. You can take that to the bank because you're a Jew just like the rest of us. But here is that verse, that well-known verse that, that many of us have come to know and love. Who knows, Esther, if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. So Esther, as we know as the story unfolds, she fulfills God's purpose for her life. And I believe that there are three choices that Esther had to make in this story that I think you and I need to make if we are going to stand before God 
with confidence, unashamed to say, God, I have done what you've called me to do on this earth. I have fulfilled my purpose. And hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Choice number one is that we have to be willing to choose sacrifice over security. Sacrifice over security. See, there's something within all of us that wants a risk-free life, a life of safety, a life of security, a life of predictability. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, all right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. But I think that there are specific times in our lives where God might be calling us to actually take a step of faith and make some sacrifices so that we can fulfill what God has called us to do. Can you imagine what type of sacrifice that Esther was having to, had to be willing to make? Imagine having the life that you always wanted. Enough money and time. Matter of fact, they say only 2% of the people in the world have enough money and time, right? Most people, some people have enough money, don't have time. A lot of people have a lot of time and no money, right? She had it all. She had the perfect life. Matter of fact, my wife and I got a glimpse of this. Just uh, last week, we went to uh, Riviera Maya, Mexico. It's this beautiful resort, Unico, by the way. If you're looking for an all-inclusive, adult-only resort with great food, you got to go there. Anyway, uh, we, had, we were sitting there for four days and doing nothing, eating the best food and just being served. And I'm thinking, man, this would be great to have a life like this all day. That was Esther's life. She had to be willing to say, you know what, if I go in there before the king, first of all, I could lose my life. But the best, case, the best case scenario would be that if I go in there and he doesn't like what I have to say, I could get demoted because the last queen got demoted and he didn't like what she had to say. So she had to be willing to make a sacrifice to fulfill the purpose that God had for her. And so one of the things that I, I tell people, I say, I have the best job. Right? I, have the, I have the absolute best job in the world. I don't know if you like your job, but I love my job. I get up every day, and this is what I do. I create YouTube videos. I write books. I prepare to speak at churches like this. Um, I create online courses. I lead my ministry. And, and it's just a dream. I just love what I do, right? But it wasn't always that way. I had to be willing to make some sacrifices, in 1999, I was working at Ford Motor Company, about 23 years old. I was making about $80,000 a year. And you would think, man, that 23-year-old making that kind of money? I mean, at work, working for Fortune 500 company? I, but I sensed that God had something greater for me, something deeper. And, and he was pressing on my heart that, that God was, was gifting me to teach the Word and do what I'm doing today. And it was at that moment that I had to make a decision. Am I going to choose security or am I going to be willing to sacrifice for, that's just it. It's a sacrifice. You don't know what's going to happen, but you sense that God is, it's, it's something in here. It's something that you just, God keeps pressing, keeps talking to you, and he keeps saying, you know what, this is what I'm calling you to give up. And here's a lesson that I learned. Sometimes the easiest decision is not always the right decision. Oh, man, it would be easy for me to say, you know what, God, okay. You want me to teach the word? No problem. I'll keep my job at Ford Motor Company. I'll go to seminary at night. It'll take me about seven, eight years to get through, and I'll be bivocational, and I'll do what I want to do, and I do what you want to do. That would have been the easiest decision. But God was like, no, I want you to give this up because I have something more for you, which leads me to this principle. 
I promise you this. When God calls you to make a sacrifice, he always has something greater in mind. Always. God would never ask you to give something up if it wasn't for something else that he had for you in store. Recently, a couple years ago, uh, my wife and I, really my wife, decided that she was going to make her own personal sacrifice. She was working. She got, she got her dream job at, a, at uh, Toyota. Was, I mean, it was a corporate headquarters down here in, in, the, in the colony. She had her dream job, worked her whole career to get this job, making good money, had a good team, loved the company, everything. And after being there for a couple years, she started sensing that, man, it was difficult for her to, 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 to be um, a mom and to be a, a wife and to, to do her ministry or calling. And she, I didn't even have to pressure her, she decided, you know what, I'm going to quit my career and give up everything I've worked for so that I can be a more present mother and be a, uh, a more, a more uh, attentive wife and, and, and to be able to do ministry more. So the question that I want us all to ask, God may not be calling you to, to give up your career and make some sort of huge step, but what sacrifices might God be calling you to make today in order for you to fulfill God's purpose for your life? Maybe, maybe it is a financial sacrifice. Maybe it's taking a pay cut on that job or turning down a promotion because you, you want to be more available for your family or you, you, you want to be more available to serve here at the church. Or, or maybe it's time. Maybe the church is asking you to, to volunteer or maybe there's some things that, that, that God's been pressing on your heart, but you just, your schedule's so tight. Is there some things that God's like, you know what, you need to put this aside and make time for this. Or, or maybe it is a career, but it's hard for many of us to give up a career because that's where we, many of us feel, find our affirmation. We, we get our identity from what we do, particularly a lot of us as men. That's the, I mean, that's where we get our identity, how much money we make, our status, our power, our influence. But could it be that God might be asking us to make a sacrifice? Here's the second choice that I think that we have to make that Esther had to make as well. And I love this one. She had to choose, and all of these are intentional choices, by the way. This isn't something you feel like, oh, I'm going to wait for the feeling to come. <laughs> you don't wait for the feeling. These are intentional choices. She had to choose purpose over position. Choose purpose over position. So I want you to notice, once again, we're in the same text here. Mordecai says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. God's going to do it with or without you. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Do you know what, what, what I believe Mordecai is saying? I believe that Mordecai is basically saying this. Esther, what if God positioned you as queen for a purpose much greater than just simply being the queen of Persia. She says, he says, have you considered that maybe God allowed you to be queen for something else other than just being queen? So maybe God has given you a, a wonderful business or maybe he's, he's allowed you to be on the C-suite at your career. That's great. But basically, I think Mordecai is asking the question, Esther, how are you going to use your influence where God has positioned you to fulfill your purpose? Your position is queen, but 
Your purpose is something much more than that. So at this point, you might be wondering, well, how do I know whether I'm focused more on my position or whether I'm focused more on my purpose? I want to give you a few things to consider. A few things to consider. First and foremost, if you are focused more on your natural talents than your spiritual gifts, you're focused more on your position, right? Natural talents, like I can sing, uh, I'm good at numbers, I'm a CPA, uh, I'm good at, you know, arguing, I'm a a lawyer, whatever it is, I I can operate on people, these are my natural talents. But your spiritual gifts are mercy, compassion, and faith, and teaching, and, 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 and uh, all the different gifts that are uh, leadership, administration, serving, giving, faith. So my question is, where is your mindset? Is it more focused on my, my natural talents, or do I focus more on my mindset? How can I use my spiritual gifts? Here's the second thing. A position Your main focus every day is how can I please my employer? How can I make sure that my job is secure, make sure that my boss is happy with me? But when you're focused on your purpose, your main focus every day is, God, how can I please you? Whether it's on a bus talking to somebody, whether it's on an airplane and somebody asks me about my faith, or whether it's uh, at work and somebody is going through something difficult, God, how can I please you? Your position is something you can do. You can do it or you may not want to do it, but your purpose is something you wake up every day. You know you're called to this. It's something you must do because there's a burden in you that says that God keeps pressing that this is something I have to do. I see something going on in the world and it's wrong and I got to make it right. The position changes. Your purpose doesn't change. Uh, Your position gives you benefits for this life only, but your purpose will give you benefits for all eternity. You're sowing into your eternal future by focusing on purpose. You're storing up for yourself treasures on earth, uh, in heaven that, uh, that w- will not decay. And then finally, for your position, your main focus is how can I advance the company? How can I make sure that what I do is advancing the company? Oh, but when you focus on your purpose, your main focus is how can I advance God's kingdom agenda? Now, we see many examples of this in the Scriptures, many examples of this. Jesus, right? Jesus was a carpenter. That was his position, but we know his purpose was to save the world. We know that the disciples, many of them were fishermen, tax collectors, had various positions, careers, but their calling was discipleship. We know that Paul was a tent maker. He had to provide for himself financially. Nobody's saying that you have to quit your job. You might have to do those things. But On top of that, Paul knew, you know what, yeah, I do tent making to provide for myself. But what I'm really called to do is write scripture, plant churches, and make disciples. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament was the prime minister of Egypt, but God had a greater purpose for him to save lives from famine, and of course, Esther as well. Yeah, that was her position to be queen, but God was calling her something much greater than that. So you might be here and say, well, how do I know my purpose? How do I know if I'm walking in my purpose? Well, this is what I love. Jesus made it so clear. He says, this is your purpose. It doesn't have to be magical or mystical or something confusing. He says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And then I love this part. It says, I am with you always because many of us say, I don't think I can do this. 
I don't have the ability. I'm not qualified. I don't have the education. I don't have the, the, the skill set. I don't have the, the giftedness. God's like, don't worry about that. You just make the decision to focus on your purpose, and I will be with you. I'll empower you to do it. So what's your purpose? Pretty simple. Bring them in, train them up. That's, that's literally two things God has called us to do. So my question is, whatever we think our purpose is, whether it's a doctor, lawyer, engineer, whatever it is, musician, how am I using my influence to either bring more people in the kingdom or build up and train the people who are already in the kingdom? If we can tie what we're doing back to one of those two things, now we're talking about walking in the purpose. So for me, for many years, I was a high school math teacher for 10 years. McKinney Boyd, if your child is up there, you know, apologize in advance, especially if your child is that kid in the back who's not paying any attention, I apologize. So <laughs> that was every day in my class. All right, you had some kids just like, what are you doing here? All right. Uh, but all while I was teaching high school math, I had this burden, this higher mindset of, okay, that's what I do, but that's not really what I'm called to do. I was called to teach and communicate the Word of God. Now, fulfilling your purpose requires courage. It requires courage. And this is where I want to speak a little bit to my, my middle school, high school contingency that I see up here. It must be where they sit every week, all right? Uh, but I want you to notice what Mordecai said. If you keep quiet at a time like this. So now he's basically saying, Esther, I need you to speak out. I need you to stand up for what you see is wrong, that we're getting ready to be destroyed. I need you to be bold. I need you to have courage to stand up even though you might be afraid. And you might be in school, and it might not be popular to stand up. It might not be popular to say that um, same-sex relationships are, are not an alternative lifestyle. It might not be popular to, to take a stand for the, the unborn. It might not be popular to take a stand for, for uh, the genders that, uh, that, that God has created, male and female. It might not be popular. But, but could it be that God has positioned you in your school districts, on your teams, for, for such a time as this, to be the light that shines in the midst of darkness? But many of us are afraid. And guess what? It's okay to be afraid. Esther was afraid. We see right here, she was afraid that she would die. She was afraid she would lose her life. But what I love about Esther is that she did not allow her fear to paralyze her from moving forward in her purpose. Because then she said in the next couple verses, well, if I die, I must, if I must die. And for many of us, we shrink back from our purpose because we're afraid of it. We're afraid of failure, we're afraid of the unknown, afraid of a lot of things. How people might treat us, losing friends, not being popular, uh, being talked about. So we kind of shrink back. But what I see Esther doing, when she went before the king boldly, she was afraid, like many of us. But faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is courage expressed in the midst of our fears. It's okay to be afraid. I get afraid every time I stand up here and speak. But it doesn't keep me from coming up here and speaking. Faith is courage expressed in the midst of fear. So I believe God has called all of us right now where we are to our individual places for such a time as this. Now here's the second question. Each time I want to have a key question I want you to think about. The second question is, have I been more focused on my position 
Maybe I'll rephrase that. Have I been more focused on my career than my calling? Is that more of my focus? And has that been more of my focus for the majority of the time I've been a Christian? I think God wants to flip that today. Here's the third and final choice, and this might be the most important one, is that we have to choose commitment over complacency. Commitment over complacency. Now, what do I mean here? I love this point. Because Esther experienced a crisis of belief. And the reason why this might be the most important one is because if there's one thing that's going to derail or distract a Christian from fulfilling the purpose that God has for their lives, it's when they experience some sort of crisis of belief. Crisis of belief is when something disrupts your life, something interrupts your life, your life is going on in a certain trajectory and all of a sudden something comes in and just takes you in a different direction. You never expected it to go. I believe that Esther was experiencing her own crisis of belief. Imagine this. She's, she's a queen of Persia, living a perfect life. Everything is easy and fun and predictable. And all of a sudden, now she's faced with, I'm going to die? So wait, I don't deserve this. This shouldn't have happened to me. In other words, she's like, I'm going to die if I don't say anything at all. Is that what you're saying, Mordecai? I'm going to die if I don't say anything because Haman's going to kill us all? And if I go into the king, I could also die too? She's a crisis of belief. If, 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 if I do nothing, I die. If I do something, I could die as well. And each of us here, you, you, you might be experiencing your own personal crisis of belief. Maybe you're here and you lost a job. And, and at that, is, that is, you're starting to question God. You're starting to question whether God is good, whether God has a plan for your life. And, and you start to slowly find yourself drifting away. Or maybe you've just lost a loved one, and no one's making light of that. It's a very, very painful, difficult thing to, to walk through. But it's easy to allow these, these disruptions to take us away because we start to have our own personal Christ of belief. Or maybe you're just having a lot of questions about the faith. I don't know if I believe this Christianity thing anymore. I don't, I'm not sure you know, if, if everything I was taught was, is really what it's all cracked up to be. Well, you may know this song. You probably sing it here at First McKinney. It's, written, it's a song written by a man by the name of Marty Sampson. We'll play a clip of it here. I want you to look at that man's face right there. It's hard for me to imagine that a man could write a song like that, sing a song like that, play the guitar like that, lead worship, thousands of people to worship, and then write this. We don't have time to read it all, but this is his deconstruction statement that he posted on his Instagram, basically saying, I'm not a Christian anymore. 
I don't believe anymore. This whole Christianity thing, it's, not, it's, not, it's just not what, it was, was what I thought it was. There's no truth to it. Matter of fact, he even goes on to say, Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I am not in anymore. And this just breaks my heart because he experienced a crisis of belief and he did not know how to handle the crisis of belief. And so what happened? He had a purpose, writing music, leading worship, doing all these things. And now he's been derailed from his purpose. And this happens over and over and over again. So how do we, how do we avoid that? How do we avoid that? How do we make sure that we, even when we experience our crisis of belief, that we continue to walk in our purpose? Well, I think Mordecai and Esther really model this for us beautifully. Let's look at Mordecai first. Mordecai says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. I love this. He's basically saying, Esther, hey, look, um, I believe and trust in the providence of God. The providence of God. In other words, hey, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it. I don't know who he's going to use. But I know that we are the children of Israel, God's chosen generation, chosen people. And somehow or another, I trust that God is going to get his will done. He didn't understand everything, but he trusted in the providence of God. Let me share with you very briefly, if I may. Back in 2006, 2007 or so, I was experiencing my own personal crisis of belief. I graduated from seminary in 2004, got my first job at a church, making about $30,000 a year. <laughs> Praise God. I was uh, fresh out of seminary, and through a series of events that were completely out of my control, I kid you not, I did nothing wrong. I got fired from a church. Pastor just didn't like me anymore, just fired me. And, and here I am, 2006, unemployed, uh, didn't get any sort of unemployment or anything like that, and I have three degrees, two master's degrees, making no money, just came off of making only $30,000 a year, had given up my $80,000 a year job, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm, and I'm struggling. I end up having to move in with my sister uh, because I didn't have any money. And I'm asking myself, God, what is it that you're doing? So what I did is I tried to apply for every single church job in Dallas. I, I'm, I'm sure, I can't say it for sure, I'm sure I tried to even apply for a job here. I'm convinced. <laughs> I mean, Bent Tree and uh, uh, Village Church, every single large church, because I wanted to be in ministry full-time. And for the next 10 years, I got rejected from every church. I tried. I started teaching high school math only because it was something I had to do, but I got rejected from every single church. And I couldn't figure out, God, what is, I got the DTS background, I got the gifting, what, how, what's going, how, come I, how come I can't seem to get in ministry full-time? And then in 2014, I was so upset that I wasn't able to be in ministry full-time. I, I said, you know what, I'm going to try this YouTube thing. I, I'm not going to wait for somebody to ask me to preach at their church. I'm not going to wait for somebody to give me a job. I'm going to start making YouTube videos and start teaching the Word. And it was out of that that I started teaching on YouTube. And I say this not to boast, but earlier this year, we just passed over 1 million subscribers on YouTube. I share that because in my mind, this was what I was supposed to do, was to be on staff at a church. I was convinced of it. And God was like, look, just trust me. I've got something 
different for you, not better, something different that you, you don't even have any idea what I'm going to do. And so I don't know what that looks like in your life, but even though you can't figure out all the details of what's going on in your life, I encourage you to be like Mordecai and say, you know what, God is going to do what he's going to do. But now let's look at how Esther handled her crisis of belief. I love this. She doesn't do it by herself. It says, she says to Mordecai, Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Essentially, she says, hey, I can't go through this crisis by myself. I need to involve my community. And you all have a community here at First McKinney, or maybe you have a a small group or a, a, a other group of people that you meet with, the worst thing you can do is probably be like Marty Sampson and just go through it by yourself with all your questions, with all your concerns, and you just, you just suffer in silence. Because I can tell you that the enemy does his best work in secrecy and silence. Those are his two best friends. When you're secret and when you're in silence, he'll do a work on your mind. Invite your community in. She says, hey, I need you all to fast and pray with me. And then next thing I see that Esther did, she didn't just invite her community in. She says, my maids and I will do the same. We will fast. We will pray. So she drew near to God. And, and the tendency when we're experiencing a crisis of belief is to turn away. But Esther said, you know what, in this time, I need to turn towards God. So here's my third and final question today as we close. In what areas of your spiritual life might you have become complacent? Prayer, fasting, quiet times, spiritual disciplines, worship. And I say that because not if, but when the crisis of belief hits you, we have to be able to have enough spiritual reserve to be able to express commitment but if our spiritual lives are more complacent and we're cruising and we're coasting and going through the motions, oh man, whenever that crisis of belief hits, what's going to happen? We're going to turn away and ultimately what's going to happen? We're going to be derailed from, from, from doing God's purpose for our life. We're fulfilling that. So why is this so important? And this is, I love this. We've read it before. Mordecai says, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Here's what I think he's saying as we close. I think he's saying, Esther, God is going to do what he's going to do with our people, with or without you. But he's inviting you right now to be a part of it. How wonderful would it be for, for, for you, Esther, to be, to be involved to be the active participant in what God is going to do. Now, whether you choose to do that or not is up to you, but God's going to do it, but, but he's inviting you right now, this moment, to be involved. And I know for me, in 2014, 15, when I started my YouTube channel, I hear God saying, you know what? I'm going to use YouTube as a way, not the way, but as a way to do digital discipleship and reach the world with the truth in ways that, to be honest with you, churches won't be able to do because we're, we're limited to the four walls. You can either be part of that or you can stand by and watch others. And I think that's the invitation that he's making today. So the questions are, am I going to choose sacrifice over security? 
Am I going to prioritize my purpose over my position? And then finally, am I going to choose spiritual commitment over a life of spiritual complacency? I believe if we make those choices, we'll be closer to fulfilling the purpose that God has for our lives. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much. You've made it so simple, Lord. We thank you for the model of Esther. And Lord, I know there's some here right now, they're experiencing their own crisis of belief. I know in a crowd of this size, there's people who are unemployed, people who are dealing with physical illness, people who are dealing with loss of loved ones, financial crisis, marital crisis, wayward children. And they're here, Lord. And they're praying, God, what are you doing right now? I don't understand your plan. I don't know what you're doing. And there might even be people here who are tempted to walk away from the faith. Lord, I pray that you would surround them with godly community who can come alongside them and minister to them in their time of greatest need so they can get back on track and fulfill the purpose that God has for their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.